What does food addiction look like to you? Or maybe a more appropriate question would be, what does someone going through food trauma or body image related issues look like to you? In the USA, around 91% of women are reportedly unhappy with their bodies. What's even more shocking is that around 80% of teenage girls are afraid of being perceived as overweight. So with that many people captured in those statistics, women especially, it's very difficult to answer those questions. Thankfully, our guest today, Amber Romaniuk, is an expert on this topic, and her work is very important. She's already helped thousands of women going through their trauma with food become more confident and develop healthier relationships with food and their body image. And she's only getting started. I won't say too much, but what I will say is listen very carefully to her points because it's taken her over 250 episodes on her channel called the No Sugar Coating Podcast to express the points she raises over here with us in this episode on Beautiful Minds. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with those close to you. Everyone needs to become more aware of this topic if we want to see those alarming numbers drop. Now, onto the episode. Hi, this is Beautiful Minds. My name is Martin and our guest today is Amber Romaniuk. Amber, you're an emotional eating and digestive and hormone expert. You're the host of the No Sugar Coating podcast and your mission is to help people gain food and body freedom. And I know you've helped thousands of clients regain their, their energy, calm digestion, lose weight, balance their hormones. And it's because you believe in this powerful way of people being the best version of themselves. You've overcome food addiction yourself and you're committed to helping people stop body shaming and self-sabotage. Welcome to Beautiful Minds. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super grateful to be here with you and I'm doing well. It's, it's always nice to connect with people on podcasts because you can do it anywhere in the world. I'm in here. I am in Alberta, Canada, and you're way over on the other side of the ocean, right? So yeah, exactly. it's so cool. Yeah, it's great. And um, how's your podcast going? Oh, really good. Um, I'm at episode, I just recorded episode 242. Wow. I can't believe it. So I'm going to be hitting around 300 episodes um, by the end of the year. It'll be five years that I've had it um, wow. solo in September and um, trending to hit like three quarters of a million downloads by the end of the year. Lots of people listening all over the world. Just super grateful that people can relate to my story, what I share. Um, I think we need people sharing the no sugar coding truth and we need different approaches because a lot of what's provided for information is it's either like archaic or it doesn't work for people. It doesn't help people address the root causes of their health issues or their, you know, relationship with food or their mindset. And so I think it's just so important to help people understand their root issues of why they can't stop struggling and that they're not alone and that it doesn't have to be this big, extreme, complex, plan to get there because I think you know I know you know a lot about like nutrition and health but I think it's been made so complicated it's been overcomplicated, right and then people just get overwhelmed and then they don't do anything because they're just like I don't even know where to start yeah it's paralysis and over analysis yeah exactly yeah. and then the head just goes in the sand and then nothing changes yeah what's been the most important topic that you think you've raised on your podcast I know everyone always asks me Martin, what's been the most popular episode of mm. Beautiful Minds? And I'm always reluctant to tell them because I feel every episode is super important. Yeah, 
I hear you. I think for me, the two, the two most downloaded, um, have been number one. Well, I don't know if in what order, but one of the two is actually the dangers of ketogenic eating and how that can fuel food fears, binge eating, more emotional eating and um, be very harmful on the hormone health. Um, because I've seen that happen to like hundreds of my clients. Um, and then I think the other one actually was really around, um, like mind, different kinds of mindsets and emotional eating. So perfectionism, people pleasing, overachieving, all or nothing mentalities, and essentially what I call the ego, the self-sabotaging mindset, how that is dictating the way that you are behaving with food, your body, and really with life. Um, because when you come to discover you have this ego, like we live in an ego-based society, I think that's going to change, but we're taught to be judgmental, critical, right? That we have to fit a certain mold. Like for women, it's like you have to be this thin, flat stomach, all this stuff. And for men, it's like you need the six pack and you should, your, your muscle should be sticking out of your, your t-shirt, right? And like all this stuff, like there's molds that have been created. And it's like, unless you fit this mold, like we see with celebrities or certain public figures, TV music, right? Like we've been so conditioned to fit a mold that is unrealistic, that takes us away from our true essence of who we really are. And we start creating like almost a war with ourselves because we don't fit this one mold. Yet we're so convinced that if you don't fit it, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be, you know, you can never become famous or have money or like, you know, have all these things that apparently this person we put on a pedestal has. However, what we're, you don't, don't realize is that they're just human beings like the rest of us. And, and who knows what their journey was to get to where they are, right? Like we need to disconnect from the external and stop comparing ourselves to other people um, or stop listening to narratives like, oh, well, you have to fit a mold and go, no, like I need to discover myself and how to take care of myself because if I'm not well and healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, how do I show up and live the life that I want? How do I play a big game of life? And how can I be of service or find my purpose if I'm constantly fighting with my body? Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of what Dominica was saying. We had her on a few episodes ago. She's a holistic coach. And she talked about when you go to school as a kid, you're often taught how to think, how to study, yes. but, but you're not taught how to feel and how mm. to respond to that. And I think that emotional stimulus that you go through with, like you said, with eating challenges, with, with body image, you know, it, it's hard because we, we're not trained. We're not accustomed to responding to such harsh stimulus that, kind of conquer us no and instead we we are taught from a very young age um to fit in a mold that the only way to get thin or to be um ideal looking is to eat less and exercise more which is so archaic and couldn't be further from the truth you know and then we're we're taught to to compare ourselves to others right and to become judgmental it's like i can't remember who quoted it but they said we're not born judgmental hateful critical babies like it's taught right and so you know it's so funny because talking about school I remember being in high school in social studies and I was just sitting there going I don't know why I need to learn any of this this does not feel resonant for me some of it I'm like I don't, it doesn't even feel true like I was really questioning like is this really the way that the world works and I'm starting to discover that not necessarily, but it's just so funny how certain subjects I had no desire. And now I understand because they're trying to teach you again, certain things to fit into a mold of 
you're going to, you know, graduate, get married, have kids. And like, there's this mold you're going to fit into and it has to go a certain way and here's the world. And, you know, they really set you up for failure. And so now I don't feel so bad for not doing so well in some of my classes because I see that it didn't matter at all. Right. It really didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. I feel like that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's interesting because you think like how much you spent worrying about something that really doesn't have any impact in your life at the moment. And you think, Mm. well, so much emotional energy went to waste just worrying about Pythagorean theory or oh. worrying about, uh, like you said, I think, we call it, <laughs> I think we call it PSHE over here. You, you just mentioned it's social studies, but you talk yeah. about food pyramid and, you know, don't drink alcohol. And then you see the teachers going to the pub on a Friday. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very counterintuitive, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned yeah. just now that when we look at, health we think okay more exercise more movement and fewer calories Mm -hmm. fewer bad calories that's the new buzzword yeah i think it's out of alignment with what our bodies really need because it's such a vague recommendation and we have to understand where the recommendation comes from so let's just say it's you're taught it in school like when you have that one health class where you learn about the food guide, like here we have the Canada food guide. It's like the biggest joke in the world because, and they just changed it, but it's still, it's like X amount of servings of dairy a day and grains and your meats and then your fruits and vegetables. And right. Like, because the dairy and meat industry are such big money makers. So of course that's like on the top of the thing. Right. So anyway, so you're set up for failure because the food guide is governed to tell you what to eat a lot of the people in nutrition go to school and learn to talk about the food guide. Okay. So you're being told to eat, you know, five to 10 servings a day of foods that are the most, you know, the top two allergens in the world are wheat and dairy, but yet you're being told to eat X servings a day because your fiber and your B vitamins and your calcium and your dairy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that then your gut's going way out of whack you're getting bloated, you're getting inflamed, you're getting puffy, and then maybe you start to gain weight. But this is what you're being told, right? And then you go to your doctor and you you ha- have to weigh in because that's what they do. And then they're like, oh, you've gained weight. You need to lose weight because your cholesterol is high and your blood pressure is high. And the answer is always, oh, you need to lose weight. Eat. You need to follow the food guide or you need to you know, cut your calories and get exercising, okay? So the doctors go to a school and learn certain things from that school. The dietitians or whoever it is go to a school and learn these things from the school. But who's providing the curriculum? Yeah. Who's providing the curriculum? Maybe, okay. you know, some people yeah. that don't necessarily have our best interest in mind is what I've come to discover. Okay. So yeah. I wanted to give a bit of an intro to that though, because it's not thorough enough to just give someone a piece of paper and be like, eat like this, fill your plate with these things. It doesn't help you identify your unique hormone picture, your unique digestive imbalances with the different digestive organs. It doesn't help you identify why you might have the cravings you do or the, the poor sleep cycle you do or that you're dehydrated. It doesn't help you understand the way that you feel about your body and, and that you may be a perfectionist and you don't feel good enough. It doesn't help you understand why every time you want to sit down and watch TV, you want to eat. It's too vague. And so that's why when they say, oh, you just need to follow this or you need to, you know, eat less and exercise more. It's really sets you up for failure because when your doctor and all these different people are telling you this and 
I know it's not, it's not the person, it's what they're taught. And I hope we'll see that change. But when that's, yeah, when that's the narrative and people are giving all their power away to their doctor or one person and they're not thinking for themselves, then they're going to the gym, they're doing like say you're someone who's never worked out before and you're like, Oh God, I need to go to the gym and exercise. And you're like, I must have to burn like a thousand calories a day. So you're out of shape. You go and you work out and then you almost get sick because you push yourself way too hard. Your body's not used to it. You have a negative experience, right? So now you're associating negativity with movement, which can be a great thing and great for your health when done properly. But now you have negative associations. So now you're dreading the gym, which stresses you out even more and makes your cortisol levels go up. And that in itself can trigger you to want to go and binge because you're like, that workout was horrible. I feel like crap. I need to reward myself. (laughs) I'm going to go eat a chocolate bar. And then you get upset because you ate the chocolate bar. And now here you are going back. You have to go to the gym and, you know, correct out the calorie deficit. And so where I'm going with this is it doesn't work because it doesn't help you get specific with understanding yourself and we're not taught how to listen to our bodies or to become in tune. And I think that's one of the biggest things that sets us up for failures. Humanity is not learning that from like the age of five years old and on, like our subconscious minds are fully open from zero to seven. We're absorbing everything. You know, kids are so powerful. Their, their, their imaginations are huge. There's no reason why we couldn't be learning information, you know, like this of how to listen to our bodies from a young age. Um, but we've been set up to rely on, you know, you know who we've been set up to rely on. It makes a lot of money for all these big companies, right? So that's why that's been the narrative of eat less, exercise more. When really in reality, what the eat less, exercise more mentality does is it sets you up for more weight gain. And then it sets you up to go on more diets. And guess how much money the diet industry makes every year? Seven plus trillion dollars a year. Yeah, it's a lot. Right? I could just rant about it, but it's the truth. It's the truth is that we've been unfortunately set up for failure. It's not your fault if you're struggling with binge eating or your weight or or health issues, because likely you haven't been set up with the proper support and tools and education to understand how to really take care of that. Yeah. And this is before we go into the junk food and what role that plays in marketing. Totally. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I imagine a lot of those anecdotes, those examples you just gave are real examples of what you hear from your clients when they come to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And not only clients, but you know, there's some other people who I follow even um, one example is Dr. Mark Hyman. Like he did a podcast episode where he brought on a guest and they essentially talked about what I just talked about, but more in depth in the sense of why they eat less exercise model is setting you up for dis-ease and weight gain. And it was just so great to hear another person who's very well respected in the community go in and he's, he digs into all this stuff. Like I'm, I can't believe he hasn't been knocked off to be honest because he, right. He's such a voice and he, he calls out all these big companies and it's incredible. So, but yeah, clients talking about it, you see other people who are really well versed and awake and aware of what's going on, you know, sharing the truth and truth. And I think that's just so important. We deserve it. Um, because everyone deserves to heal and, and have that optimal health. It's not that certain people are luckier. It's, you know, you have bad genes and I don't. We have to understand what our root issues are and be able to deal with those in order to get to the food and body freedom that I talk about. 
Yeah. So anyone listening to this wondering whether genetics do play a big role, can, can you maybe clarify that? Yeah. So I think they can play somewhat of a role. I don't think it's the be all end all like we've been convinced. Our minds are very powerful. And if you check out people like Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a PhD, and he used to work in big pharma, and then he's got really deep into cellular study and epigenetics, which is essentially, I'm not like fully, you'd have to go listen to him because he's like world renowned on this. But essentially, it's that he's discovered that to a cellular level, our cells are listening to our thoughts. And they feel our emotions. And so if we're often in a negative or in a stress response, the cells and the blood will change, become more acidic, more stress. And that's what's setting the body up for the, the symptoms, the imbalances, and, and the dis-ease, as people like him and Louis, er, Louis Hay say, because your body's out of ease. It's not at ease. You're, dis, you're at dis-ease. And they talk a lot about, you know, how we store certain emotions and negative thoughts in the body. And if we don't work through that, and we suppress it all that at some point it can create this, these symptoms. And I really believe that. And I can tell you through working with my clients and following people like that. And even personally, the only time I ever get a physical symptom anymore is from emotional distress. So that's also how I know it's legit because I've experienced it firsthand so many times. And once I identify what's going on emotionally or what the limiting belief is that I've been, you know, struggling with and I release that, the symptom goes away. So you can go check out Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's got books, YouTube channel, like he's incredible, but he talks a lot more in depth about this. And I just have it's mind blowing when you get into all these different avenues and layers and then it's not just like, yeah, well you have poor genetics. So I think that's part of it. However, I think that, you know, you see people who have shifted their mindset and healed their bodies and Louise all hated that. Joe Dispenza did that. He was like, right. Like look at what he did by shifting his mindset and using things like visualization and meditation. That's incredible. So to me, that's the proof, right? That, that we have to use both. We have the genetic and the mindset together. Yeah, absolutely. I think when, when you look at athletes and when you look at people on the magazines, you automatically start, like you said, you automatically start thinking, right, why am I not in that mold? Well, mm. it's, because, it's because of genetics. And then you think, okay, well, I can change the genetics. And that's kind of where the narrative's going now. And I think what you were saying mm. earlier, if I had to summarize it, you are saying that, personalization of approaches is the way to go you can't just have an approach to where it's i don't know one size doesn't fit all that say. yeah no it doesn't because you've had different life experiences everyone's had different negative experiences traumas right like things that have happened to them that have created stress in the body or created the body to want to hang on to weight or protection as I refer to it to everyone is a different calendar, a different schedule, a different environment, eating different food, thinking different thoughts about themselves. So that's why it's, how do you put everyone in a mold and just say that this is the answer, right? Definitely. Yeah. And when you mentioned about your own experience, what can you talk us a bit through that? Like what actually happened and how you overcame yeah. it? Yeah. So you know, for me, I think there's, there was like three or four different life altering moments that happened for me that made all this, you know, come to fruition. And so the first thing that happened to me when I was five 
is we had just moved out to the country. So I had to start taking the bus. And so it was my first day on the bus and I was super excited, nervous, because I'm like five years old. And so I get on the bus and then the older boys, they just started yelling at me and they're like, oh, look at her. She's ugly. She's fat. And then the whole back end of the bus, everyone's just like laughing, making fun of me. And I believed it. I, and it really hurt me because I thought, well, they don't know me. And if strangers are saying this about me, it must be true. And so I really took on that identity for, you know, the next 20 years of my life. And, you know, then as I grew up, you know, the magazines I'm reading, all these women have like the perfect body. And I'm like, how do you even look like that? I really got the crap end of the gene pool. It's like, you know, how do you look like that? I want to look like that. So I'd rip out pieces from the magazine and like these photos and put them on the treadmill and be like, I need to run until I look like this because they don't tell you it's Photoshopped. They don't tell you they've completely altered the image. There's no disclaimers. So you just assume, right? You're, I'm naive. I'm 12 years old, right? And then I dyed it all through my teens and food was always readily available. There's always lots of processed food, baked goods, ice cream, you know, fast food, et cetera. And largely that I think is also because my mom still to this day has a very emotional relationship with food. And I think part of the compensation was prior to me being born, she got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I think that's something that she's never been able to um, like cope with or deal with or, or even attempt to try to heal. She just kind of gave up after that happened. And so I think one of her ways of compensating in our relationship because there's a lot of things we couldn't do like from a physical standpoint of going for long walks or you know you know she get dizzy really easily things like that so it'd be like here let's go eat together what do you want to eat where do you want to eat let's have food too and so it, it just like food got associated with everything um and not that I blame my mom but just seeing the associations right it, that came together and then um and then the next phase of it was really after a breakup you know a long time ago and that I really was convinced that if I get the perfect body, then my life will become perfect. Like it was really, that was my big belief. And so I heavily restricted. I exercised a lot. I lost the weight really quickly. However, I was not happy. I did not become fulfilled. I became more critical of my body. I became more arrogant. My ego really took over and I became so judgmental of myself and other people. And it really you know, it wasn't the be all end all like I thought it was going to be essentially. And so once that happened, I was like, this is too hard to maintain. I can't keep restricting. Um, so it's like this switch flipped and then the binging really started. And it wasn't just like I sat down and ate like half a chocolate bar. It was like, I'd go to the bakery and buy like six whole cupcakes and eat them. And then I'd go to the next place and buy like food and eat it or bring home a whole shopping basket of food and just binge and watch a movie because I wanted to numb out of my reality because now I'm gaining weight. Now I'm the heaviest I'd ever been. And I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I don't feel well. I don't want anyone to see me. And I wished I was the actors in the movie because their life was perfect in the movie. Right. And that's the flip that then happened. And so from there, it was about a year of really harshly fighting with my body and going through, you know, very deep binge eating, self-sabotage, negative self-talk. And after about a year of that, I think it was just after my 22nd birthday, I had a, my lowest point, which was really after I'd finished a binge, I was laying on the couch and I thought to myself, if I keep at this pace of self-sabotage, 
I don't even know if I'm going to hit 30. I don't know if my body will have the capacity to survive this because it was very destructive, right? So then I was like, well, if this is the last time I'm going to do this, because here comes the all or nothing mentality. I was like, well, I better eat more of the cookies, even though I'm so full and right. So um, feeling so unwell. So I dug through the garbage in my kitchen and I ate the food and that really, it just was like, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? I'm not this person. I don't want this to slowly kill me. I just, I couldn't believe what was happening and why, like I just ate out of a garbage can, right? I'm 20, I'm 22, I'm broke, I'm single, I'm alone, I'm unhappy, I hate my job. Like it truly was the epitome of like, there's nothing going right for me other than like my family loves me and I have some good friends, right? But all my internal was just, it was completely in, in the mud. But I needed that to happen because what was going on, and I think this happens for a lot of people, um, is I wanted to change, but the fear of the uncertainty of what that would look like and the fear of failure kept me in this comfort zone of even though I was suffering, it's like, but who would I be without food? And what if I fail? And what if I can't do it? And how do I even do it? So it's just like, okay, then I won't do anything. But that night, the suffering became bigger than the fear to want to step into the unknown. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to look like or how I'm going to get there, but I got to do something. And it's almost what I described as is I essentially just got to the foot end of the Amazon jungle with like a little knife. And here I am now I got to try and like find my way through this whole jungle without a path, a guide or anything. And that's to me what it seemed like in the beginning. Right. Um, But that was a huge turning point for me. And so from there, I really started to learn about food. So as you mentioned, like all the junk food stuff earlier, that's where I started was why do I crave sugar so much? Why do I want sugar all the time? Wow, sugar's 10 times more addictive than cocaine. Wow, they, they're putting it in everything because they want you to be addicted to it. Um, and then I started to learn about how that was impacting my gut flora and my brain fog. And then I learned about gluten and dairy and how they have proteins in them that excite the same part of the brain as heroin. And that's why I'd like eat a piece of bread and then I'd want to eat the whole loaf or I'd used to eat a piece of cheese and want to eat the whole block. Like, the addictive nature of some of these foods when you're dealing with a food addiction, it's full blown. And it, may, it just gave me relief that I'm not crazy. Like there's, there's reasons why my brain chemistry is reacting this way when I eat these foods. And so then beyond that, I started to change the way that I ate and, you know, it really helped with some of the cravings. However, I still wanted to binge and that's when the next layer. So it was like physical food, right. Starting to deal with digestive stuff. And then that's where, though, then the next step was the emotional, realizing I hated my body. I didn't love myself. I didn't know how to cope with stress, right? And I still thought that it was about the weight and I just had to find the right diet. So once I realized that I didn't love myself and I didn't know what was going on, it was very important to start understanding what was triggering me to emotionally eat, start having healthy ways to cope with stress, you know, meditation, breathing, tapping, nature, yoga, we live close to the Rocky mountains. So just spending more time there understanding, you know, why I was so afraid to feel my emotions. This, I think this is an epidemic across the world that needs to be addressed because people are so afraid to feel and, or, Oh, if you feel something, you're weak. If you show any sign of emotion, you're weak, which is so wrong and so detrimental to our health. Um, And so learning how to feel and express and notice that the, like, 
the end of the world was not going to happen if I just sat and felt some fear and acknowledged it and worked through it was incredible. Um, and all of that really accumulated to starting to build the self-love and catching negative self-talk and letting go of needing to have a certain number on the scale, you know, define me and or fitting into a certain clothing size. It was not about that anymore. It was like, I need to get healthy and I want to learn how to love myself. And so all of this that I'm talking about helped me fill the void and help me love myself and make peace with food. And then I did the healing with like the digestion, digestion and hormones. And from there, that's when I really discovered the spiritual part of the journey, which is I have an intuition. I can feel things. I can see things. This is a gift. And now it's, it's heightening because I'm not suppressing it anymore. And that was really, really cool because it's just something that grows and grows and grows. And, and when you trust that gut feeling, good things happen. When you don't trust it, it's like the universe throws a brick at your head, right? It, you have those experiences. You go, I wish I would have trusted my gut. So all of that, you know, improved um, as I healed. And, and that's what inspired me to start my business because I thought if I struggled with this the way that I did, how many other people, especially women, are struggling less than me, the same as me or more than me? And it's, you know, 90 90 to 95% of the female population is or has struggled with some form of body image issues and eating disorder. Like that's, it just goes to show you how significant that is and that we've been conditioned. Like this has been going on for so long. And so here we are seven years later, you know, since I started my business and I'm very grateful for every single know, step of my journey that I went on because I needed to go through it and heal myself to understand how to help other people with it and have the compassion and the empathy for how deep the suffering is so that I could really hold safe space for other people. Because I think, you know, you can, you can help people with their mental health and you can help people with their health, but if you don't have compassion and empathy it's very easy for the person who's struggling to shut down. And so you have to be really mindful of, you know, holding safe space because otherwise that person's going to not want to do the work and they're not going to get where they want to go. So I think that's why I had to go through it all to understand it. And then, you know, understand how vulnerable of a topic it is for people. Yeah. It's very sensitive, isn't it? And I think especially Mm -hmm. with students, because that's the first time in their lives that they actually go on on their own to live somewhere away from home. And yeah. me and a lot of my friends, they went through their food journeys while yeah. they were students in, in that first taste of independent life. And I know yes. that's from your story, that's clearly the same to you. Oh, yeah. 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 College was, you know, a free for all because you could buy whatever you wanted, eat whatever you wanted, alcohol. And it just, yeah, no wonder, you know. And then, you know, you you go through all that and you put your body through all that and you wonder why you gain weight or you're exhausted and you're not sleeping well and whatever the unique symptoms are for each person. But again, we are really, we are set up for failure, right? We're not really set up to succeed with our health unless we have from a young age been taught or learned ourselves and taken the initiative. Yeah. Yeah. I think that initiative is important because Mm -hmm. that's the only way you're going to conquer that uphill battle. Yeah. Oh yeah. What I really learned is we have to stop relying for other people to give us all the answers. We can, we can align with the people that we think are going to help us figure it out and, and learn how to listen to the body and take care of ourselves. But this whole notion that, you know, your doctor or 
this one person knows everything. And so therefore they should be able to give you all the answers. It's not fair to that person. And it's not fair to you, right? Like I used to think, oh my God, my doctor has all the answers. So when something happens, I go to my doctor, but then they stopped having the answers for me. And I'm like, okay, well, well now what do I do? Right? So every healthcare practitioner on this earth has their purpose. However, we have to know that there's more than one avenue. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, when I was starting a podcast, for example, I tried to benchmark it off of so many other different ones. And mm-hmm. you're never going to find one that ticks all the boxes. You have to kind of, you know, merge yeah. and combine them. I think that's where the personalization thing comes into it, where you, where you were saying, about your food what goes into your fridge for example we have that analogy here in the uk well you know your fridge will look different to someone else's and you you'll both still be healthy or you'll still both be top athletes perhaps you know you one might be a swimmer one might be a rugby player yeah so that customization of what goes in your fridge and then that goes in your stomach and then if that works for both of you you know that i think the comparisons can be quite dangerous as well Oh my goodness. You know, it's so interesting that you bring that up because I chatted with often when I'm having my complimentary consultation with people, they'll bring up, well, I saw this influencer doing this, or my friends are doing this, or this athletes doing this. And you're right. It becomes dangerous because the biggest problem with that is if you've never had your hormones tested, if you've never, you know, if you haven't addressed your relationship with food and, and you don't know what's going on in your body, the suggestions or protocols that are recommended by this person can be very detrimental. It can damage your hormones. It can give you adrenal fatigue. It can mess up your thyroid and metabolism. It can make your, you know, for women, the estrogen too high. It can mess up testosterone in both sexes. You know, it can really do a number and you have no idea because you haven't assessed your current state of health, which is addressing all these different pieces in the first place and knowing where they are. I can't tell you how many women I've had come to me who've tried keto or other eating styles or had really intensive exercise regimes and they're being pushed really hard, but they're so exhausted, but yet the hormones weren't checked or, you know, it, it wasn't addressed maybe just because they didn't feel comfortable that they struggle with emotional eating and body image issues. And so they're binging and then restricting and they're going and doing this insane exercise. And then they're trying, you know, full protein, full high fat diets and now their cortisol is like seven, eight times higher than it's supposed to be. Their memory, they have no memory. Their brain fog is so bad. They're exhausted. They're gaining weight like crazy. Their cravings are getting worse and they don't have the capacity to really do anything. Yet they're still convinced that, ah, oh, I just have to try harder. I'm just not, I need, once I'm perfect with this, then it will all go my way when it's like your body is trying to speak to you. Like our bodies speak to us with symptoms to try to get our attention. And if we don't know that we just assume I must not be doing it properly or I must have to try harder, but then we make ourselves feel more unwell. And one, I'll just give one an innocent example of me. So as I was, you know, still in the beginning stages of healing and, and just starting to learn how to eat the way that felt good for my body, I started reading books, you know, and this one book, it was more on like plant-based eating any, you know, some of the um, supplements and things this guy recommended. He's like, oh, and Mac is really good for your hormone health and your adrenal health. And so I'm like, great, I'm going to start taking Maca, right? Like, so I'm, I'm taking all this Maca. And then, you know, a few years later, I, you know, start doing the hormone work and get my hormones tested and, and discover that my estrogen is 10 times higher than it's supposed to be. Well, guess what? Maca 
if you have high estrogen, it will make your estrogen higher. It boosts estrogen. I didn't know that. I didn't know where my estrogen was at. So I was by accidentally making my estrogen go too high, right? But because I didn't know and I didn't have the education, I just trusted what that person said, but it's still too vague. So with any kind of like herbs or certain supplements, you know, you really should have a picture of those things before you do it because you may think you're doing something good, but you're actually sabotaging it. And then you get more frustrated with your body because you're like, how come this isn't working, right? You think it's something that you're doing wrong when you just, you don't have likely have the whole picture. Yeah, I guess it's a forgivable mistake when, you know, you have words like adaptogens going around and you think, okay, well, spirulina, you, you know, I've got different things in my cupboard, for example. Yeah. And I know that it's not junk food, it's expensive stuff, you know, it's yeah. like probably the highest quality nutrition you can get. And then you think, mm-hmm. well, it won't work for everyone. So I'm not going to make a big fuss about it and put it on my Instagram or I'm going to tell people about it. Yeah. But when people say to me, okay, so do you use any protein shakes or this? I'll say no, but I do use this plant-based powder called spirulina because that's got loads of protein in it. And I personally feel really good after I have it. It doesn't make yeah. it bloated. It doesn't, you know, it, kind of those protein shakes. I don't really trust them all the time. I know whey protein can be quite effective. A lot of rugby players take it. But with that example that you were just saying, I know Mac is an adaptogen. It's quite powerful. But yeah. I think that's what people don't realize is how powerful it can be. Yeah. Or people, like you said, you know, you have things like the spirulina or you or like those boxed cleanses that you can just go to the health food store or wherever and like just buy this box cleanse and you take these supplements or these tinctures at these times and like you're, it's just going to cleanse your system. Like what we don't remember is say your body can't detoxify properly. Say your lymphatic system is sluggish. Say your liver is over you know, overwhelmed with toxins, say your body's overwhelmed with heavy metals, right? Here's an, here's, so here's an example. So my body doesn't methylate properly. So my, I did blood work once and my homocysteine is high and that's a methylation marker and it, it's supposed to help you meth, um, metabolize and methylate your B12. And so I have, so here's a genetic thing, but I still think that you can heal this if you shift your mindset. So I got the genetic test done and I have the gene mutation um, in my liver that doesn't allow me to methylate properly. So I take a supplement to help with that. Okay. But knowing that my detoxification is not going to necessarily be as strong as someone who doesn't have that gene. Okay. So I can work on my mindset and I can make sure my lymphatics and all my detoxification systems are functioning properly. But for me to go and do really intensive heavy metal detoxing, I'm going to get so sick because all this stuff comes out at once. And then my body may, may be more slow at getting it out. Right. So now I'm suffering so much trying to do something good for my body. But because I, you know, if I didn't know that that was happening and I'm like, Oh, but this is what I need to do. And then you get so sick. And again, you have that negative experience. Then you're associating getting healthy with getting sick. And, you know, I've had people say to me, well, I tried to reduce my refined sugar and gluten intake or whatever it is, the more processed foods. And they're like, I got sick, so I must need them because I tried to, you know, come off of them. And then I got really sick and I go, well, that's the detox. That's the drug-like withdrawals. That's the withdrawals. Like your body has to filter through all that. But people just have a bad experience because they go too hard too fast. Yeah. And then they associate it that, no, that must not be for me. So where you talk about spirulina, my body hates that stuff, but dandelion tea, you know, there's, there's just other things for me that my body's like, yeah, give that to me. And so here we come back to that individualized 
learning how to listen to your body. What feels good for me? What doesn't? What speed of detoxification works for me? You may be able to go faster, right? So it's really, we have to take it individualized at our own pace and likely, especially with things like detoxification, get help with that kind of stuff because you don't want to scare yourself by overdoing it and you don't want to do any harm to your body, right? By, you know, if if you're really wanting to heavily detox, say your liver or do really intensive gut flora balancing, um, some of the protocols can just be very intensive and very restrictive. And if it's, especially the first time you're doing it, it could really make you not feel good. So there's a lot to learn. Yeah. And especially to have someone there, like a professional that can say, okay, well, what you're going through now is normal. And, you know, if you start feeling this, then you need to do this. And and just having that guidance, because when you try and do a DIY kit on your own at home, I think it can be a quite daunting, be quite complicated and see, like you said, if you get a negative experience, it can probably put you off forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's so fascinating. I know I keep referring back to myself, but I swear I I got put through like every experience (laughs) to know not what to do with my clients. And so when I was, I was overcoming my food addiction and I worked at a health clinic and they're like, Oh, you want to do blood work? We can do blood work and you can, you get a discount. So I was like, great, let's do my blood work. And so I, I got tested for the first time for candida, which is unhealthy bacteria in the large intestine. And my candida score was the worst that the doctor had seen in her 12 years of being in practice, probably from all the sugar antibiotics and then the binging, right? Cause I was still binging and sugar was my, my kind of yeah. nemesis. Right. So the protocol was green vegetables, animal protein, um, non like fungus containing nuts. So like Brazil nuts I could have and almonds and this horrible hemp protein powder. It was just horrible. I was like making smoothies with cucumbers, celery, nutmeg, rice milk, and this horrible hemp protein and trying to choke it down because I was trying to figure out what I could cook or what I could eat. Right. And it was so bad. And so, and then these heavy antifungals, they put me on. And so they're like, you have to follow this diet and you have to take this intensive antifungal, like two or three times a day to kill the yeast. And you have to do this probably for like two or three years. And if you don't do it like this, it's not going to get better. So, so I'm like, okay, well, if I have to do it like this, then I guess I have to do this. I get like two or three weeks in, I get so sick. My skin's yellow. I'm exhausted. I'm like hacking up all sorts of stuff like TMI, but I want to share this because that protocol honestly probably would only work for like a very small amount of the population. The die off was so extreme. The detox was so extreme, but it wasn't individualized to me. And of course, then the restriction made me keep binging because it's like, who, who, why would you even want to just want to eat green vegetables and animal protein? Like who would get excited about that? Like I couldn't even eat sweet potatoes right? So now you're trying, you're trying to tell someone who's struggling with binge eating that that's all they can eat. Right. So I wanted to share that though, because it just shows another example of if you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle and it's too hard, too fast, you do end up just feeling horrible. And it's very hard then to try to eat well and not binge and then heal these parts of your physical body. And that's why for me, it's so important that we actually, we don't do a lot of physical stuff first. It's if someone has binge eating, food addiction, emotional eating, 
we have to have the person mostly overcome that first. If they have food fears, we have to have them overcome them. Like a lot of people are afraid to eat a bell pepper because they did keto and carbs are bad, right? And so now they have this negative association to healthy, nutritious foods. So we have to do a lot of mindset work to have that person rebuild their confidence with food and understand that food is for physical nourishment. Yes, it can taste really good and have variety and we can be excited to eat. However, it's not to cope with everything else in our lives. So it's very important that we shift the mindset and do all of that because guess what? As you do that, you're taking a massive stressor off the body, which is the binging, the restriction, which stresses out the hormones and digestion. So now we can go and we can balance the gut flora, gently detox the liver, replenish stomach acid stores and do anything else digestively to alleviate symptoms like bloating, heartburn, you know, cramping, constipation, irregular bowel health, brain fog, etc. And it's very successful and people see a significant improvement and their symptoms usually mostly go all away when we complete that. Um, but it's because we've gotten the first big stress right of the way, which is the self-sabotage with food. Okay. Same with hormones. It's the same thing we've we can start a little bit, but you'll see the biggest benefits once you get one of those massive stressors out of the way. So, but unless you understand the emotional relationship with food protocols are not being done like that because you just think, well, this person has really bad, you know, gut issues and, and a really um, high rubbing immune system and lots of food sensitivities. So we have to cut out all the food sensitivities to calm the immune system down. But if that person doesn't feel comfortable saying, well, I struggle with binge eating, right? And then they have to go on a restrictive protocol and they keep failing and the, the food sensitivity picture doesn't improve. It's largely because you, you, you can't put someone on a risk. You can't restrict somebody who's struggling with binge eating. I guess that's the message, message that I'm trying to come down to because they will get triggered. And I hear it time and time again with women who come to work with me who have been seeing other people. And it's, again, it's not, nothing that that practitioner is doing wrong. It's just that they don't understand how restriction fuels rebellion and fuels the ego to take over and want to have everything because now I just got told I can't have this or they're not taught how to bring in, um, you know, alternatives and, and, you know, swap this for this. It's just like, this is what you need to cut out. Here's your list of stuff. See you later. Like again, you're, you're set up for failure. How are you, how are you going to succeed? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you think you're helping the situation, but actually what you're doing is you're giving it fuel for later. Yeah. And so that's why it has to be a, dressed in phases because you can resolve food sensitivities. You can, you know, really improve the gut immensely in the immune system and, and hormone picture. I see this stuff all the time. Miracles happen, but we have to address what's been fueling all these symptoms in the first place because they didn't just come out of nowhere, right? You don't just get digestive issues or adrenal fatigue for no reason. There's the relationship with food, your schedule, do you have, do you have some form of balance that looks different for everyone? But if you're overbooked and you're just giving yourself to everyone else all day, every day, the people pleasing mentality, you're exhausted. You probably have nothing left for yourself and that will fuel significant hormone imbalances and overwhelm. And then you have your exercise picture, which sometimes people think they're doing exercise and it's doing them good, but it's hurting these other pictures because they're out of whack, right? You have your sleep cycle and then you have, you know, your physical symptoms and then you have your mindset and emotional state and what you think of yourself how you perceive the world what kinds of limiting thoughts and beliefs you have and we all have an ego so there's lots of different things to look at 
right? It's not just as cut and dry as here's a meal plan, follow this, or here's this protocol, follow this. It's like, yeah, but what about all these other pieces that we have to also address because they play a role? Yeah. And then where the self, well, I know you said that self-restrictive diets are not going to work, but then intermittent fasting, I know that's been a hot buzzword in the nutrition industry and that space. Where do you, where does that sit with you? I think that just like with any, anything, there may be a part of the population that more plant-based eating works for, or more paleo, you know, way of eating works for, but that you don't have to follow it to the T like say you're paleo, but you want to have rice and beans. Like it's about figuring out, you know, through trial and error, what works for you in that mix. But for me, because I largely deal with people struggling with emotional eating and it comes down to like body image, their um, like motivator for doing something like fasting is because it promises weight loss. So the, the motivator is not in alignment with your health. So for me, I don't, endorse fasting or anything like that because it's dangerous to do it without knowing your hormone picture your state of health and likely nine times out of ten you may lose weight but as soon as you start eating you'll gain it back because your metabolism may have been impacted and other things also because it's very restrictive it often for my clients will fuel massive binge eating because they're starving themselves and now all of a sudden they're like oh my god i can't take this anymore they they've had some kind of emotional trigger and they're using food to cope. So for me, I see things like fasting actually fueling food addictions and binge eating and emotional eating because unless you're being properly supported and you have no emotional connection to food. So if you truly have a healthy relationship with food, you do not eat for any other reasons other than physical nourishment and you have a a pretty, you know, you have healthy ways to cope with stress and you feel good about your body, you may be, you know, it's part of that five to 10% of the population who can do that, right? Or maybe you have an illness and that's been suggested to help with that. So it's for reasons like that, that I think for some people, it could work very well. But for the rest of the 90% of the population who's fighting with their body, who is fighting with food, who is chaotic, out of their power, right? Been, you know, snacking and mindlessly eating and eating all this processed food. I think that's just just like the you know restrictive protocols I was talking about earlier, it will really set you up for more failure and potentially have negative impact on not only your physical body, but also your emotional state. Because the more your hormones are out of whack, the more your emotional state's out of whack, right? Yeah. So if you so, had to break it down to three steps for people learning or perhaps even improving their ability to listen to their bodies, what would be your step breakdown? That's a great question. And thank you for asking it. So the first step is we have to be willing to slow down and take time to become present to learn how to listen to our body. So if you're go, go, going, I think here's another buzzword that needs to go, this hustle stuff. Okay. Hustle needs to go because it's like hustle hard, have no time to slow down and relax and tune into what I really need. And here comes the adrenal fatigue. I actually have a podcast episode, how the hustle fuels adrenal fatigue. It's legit. So we have to be willing to find some balance. And this is where, you know, if your schedule is just booked full and there's no white space for yourself, you've got to be willing to start to, even if you're blocking like five minute increments, three or four times through the day to stop. And it pops up and goes, stop and check in. How am I feeling? And so you can go, do I need water? You can start with simple questions. Like, do I need more water? Do I need to have a snack? Is my 
blood sugar low? Like, has my energy dropped and I haven't eaten in a couple of hours? How am I feeling emotionally? Am I overwhelmed right now? Am I fighting back and forth with this craving in my head? But starting to ask some questions like that, right? Am I bloated? Do I need to get up for a walk? But as you start to stop and, and check in, you start to get, you know, this entunement with how I'm feeling in my mind and my body. And from then asking those questions and starting to figure out how to answer them, you can take then the action steps to start taking care of those needs. So that helps with the awareness. Another really, so then phase two is be aware of how you feel after you eat. So this isn't that you have to track your food actually for anyone who's struggling with emotional eating. It can be a trigger. So I don't suggest people track their food for that reason, but it's more so if you, after you eat, you're bloated or you feel really tired or you just all of a sudden notice symptoms are coming up, you know, can you start to become aware of if, you know, certain foods are giving you certain symptoms? Okay. Or maybe the meal is really nutritious, but that it's that you're really stressed before you eat. And so your body's in fight or flight and therefore you just get instantly bloated as soon as you start eating because of the stress that you need to deal with to calm down before you eat, right? To get you out of fight or flight, arrest and digest as an example. So being aware of how you feel before you eat and then after you eat can be really helpful to identify if there's certain things that don't make you feel well. And I think the third part is self-care. So when we do dedicate time, you know, in these larger increments of the five minutes, so like 15 to 30 minutes or more, to slow down, whether that's your movement or it's meditation, it's yoga, it's stretching, it's getting out for a walk, it's, you know, pulling out a journal and, you know, kind of going through your day and going, you know, I felt really good. And then all of a sudden I felt myself giving my power away to my ego. I became really critical of myself or really critical that I could have done better with my, you know, I could have made more money this month or I could have, you know, had more success this month. What's that about? What made me give my power away? Or what person at work is just really pissing me off, for lack of a better word, that I'm giving my power away to that I maybe need to set a boundary with. I love the journaling or even just sitting, if you don't want to journal, just reflecting, think about your thoughts and connect with yourself to see how you feel. Because until you know how you feel, it's really hard to know what actions to take or what to do to change it. When we're just distracted and overwhelmed all the time, how, how could you possibly know how to listen to yourself, right? That's where then we rely on listening to everyone else. And we're so disconnected from ourselves. So really, you know, the check-ins before and after you eat, check in with how you're feeling emotionally and physically and see, you know, if by even doing five deep breaths before you eat to calm your nervous system will probably improve your digestion quite a bit. Um, and then dedicating regular time. I always say every day for self-care because it helps you learn how to listen to your body. And then through trying different kinds of self-care, whatever that is for you, it's different for everyone I know. So you kind of have to try different things and see what works for you. But then you start to realize, wow, when I have this kind of day, I need to come home and do this kind of self-care. And when I feel like this, you know, these kinds of self-care really help like meditation through the last four months, especially I've been craving it. Like I used to crave sugar and it's been incredible because as I've gotten deeper into meditation, I'm manifesting more quickly. I've had some of the most abundant months in my business. I feel a lot more at peace with what's going on in the world and I'm not worried about it anymore. And there's a lot of really incredible things happening because I kind of, you know, I wasn't really doing much of it. And then I'm like, you know what, for some reason I'm being called to do more of that. And as you become more in tune, you listen to those little nudges more and you go to those things. And I'm like, no wonder I was craving that. Here's all this evidence and great things that are happening because I listened to that. But if I was really distracted and busy and overwhelmed, I wouldn't have heard that. 
and moved toward it and started doing it. Definitely. And you mentioned about meditation over the last four months in particular. What does a typical day look like for you normally versus in lockdown? Oh man, it actually didn't change much at all because I have my office at home, both my boyfriend and I, we have um, businesses that we can operate out of our house. So it really, we're grateful for that. Um, because for me, it essentially was just like, I get up, I do some self-care, whether it's meditation, EFT tapping, journaling, um, and then, you know, get into breakfast and then get into my day. And so none of that really changed. I think what really I think I started to do some more self-care. Like that's where I added in more meditation in the weekends. My um, self-care became more intensive in a good way because I felt like I just needed, I really needed to figure out how to um, cut off and block out the collective energy because it doesn't matter if you're intuitive or not. When all this stuff started, it was heavy. The energy was heavy. Like, do you not agree? Did it not feel like really intense? And so that's where I felt more called to be like, what can I do to like, get that out and find my inner peace. And so that's where spending more time, you know, doing the self-care, especially on the weekends, you know, meditating, that's where I find I can get into like a half an hour meditation. Um, We have an infrared sauna, so that's really helpful. Um, But doing stuff like that, it just, it's like now the norm. It's just, I think it's just going to be something that I do now from now on, because I'm, I'm seeing benefits from it that I wasn't expecting to, but that's why it's important to learn how to listen to your body so you can go, I'm craving this. Obviously I must need to do it. Right. Yeah. And I've heard of something recently called recce, essentially use the power of time to buy yourself more time. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really tried it. Um, It's something which I guess it's on the list to experiment with, but it sounded really intriguing. Have you tried Mm -hmm. that? Given any thought? A little bit. So there's a couple different kinds of Reiki. There's, um, there's the, t- so this is the cool thing about everything going on right now. You get to pick the timeline you want to be on. Yeah. So when all this hit, my boyfriend and I kind of declared, we're choosing the timeline of amazing things can happen. Still miracles are possible. Success is possible. You know, good things are happening to us. We chose that timeline instead of maybe more fear or, giving into the agenda or whatever you want to call it. Right. With, but so we chose this, this timeline while having compassion for how everyone else is feeling and how everyone else is dealing with what's going on. But I feel like because we made that decision, we manifested to this timeline where that's what we've been attracting because we're practicing heavy gratitude. We're doing lots of self-care. We're taking care of ourselves, but we're not choosing to give our power away to what's out of our control. So I think in that aspect, it almost feels like time has sped up. And so I think one thing that um, a mentor of mine always encourages is if we feel like we need more time, ask for it. Please bring me more time. Help me, you know, bring me more time right now. Um, whether you're asking the universe or God or whatever you believe in, can you please bring me more time right now? And she said she's noticed a difference with even just asking for that, right? Um, so, and then there's the Reiki where you, you actually use the energy of your hands to heal, provide healing to yourself or other people. And so that's also really cool because again, you're, you're asking for energy from source, which I totally believe in. And, and it's so powerful because when you're having a physical symptom and you can use energy to calm it down, it's just such an incredible shift to see happen. So I think we have a lot of abilities inside of us that I think 
it's so important for humanity to harness and nothing is out of reach. So if you want to try and create more time for yourself, the only thing in the way of you doing that is your mindset. And so can you get your ego out of the way and go, I'm going to figure out my method of creating more time. And there's some really, I can't remember her name, but she actually talked about this bending time and space and she explained it so well. And her process for doing it was so cool. I wish I could remember her name, but if you go on Google or like YouTube, like how to bend time and space or how to create more time and space, I'm sure some really great tutorials and explanations will come up, but I just, anything is possible. If one thing I've learned through all of this, anything is possible. If you can dream big enough and have a big enough imagination and then have an emotional, you know, get excited about it, right? Anything is, we're powerful manifestors. You create your reality. You, if you look around and you're not happy with what you see, what have you been thinking? If you look around you and love what you see, well, it's, it's how you're taking care of yourself and what you're thinking. Definitely, yeah. And if you had to give any piece of advice to people over lockdown now who are perhaps struggling with either food addiction or their relationship with food has been deteriorating at a faster pace, what would be your best piece of advice? Number one, you're not alone. Try to not be too hard on yourself. Um, and I think one of the best things that you can start to do is to set some t um, boundaries with technology, shut off the TV and, and the phone and spend that more of that time building a self-care routine where you can learn how to cope with your stressors in a healthier way that doesn't include food. So get into, you know, breathing or meditation and you don't have to do it a certain way. Just put on relaxing music and, and get in a comfortable position and just close your eyes. Right. But, but get a journal or piece of paper and start writing down the things that you know trigger you to go to food. So if it's watching the news or it's you associate TV and eating or overwhelm or you hopped on the scale and you weren't happy with the number you see, start making note of that because the more you can understand what's triggering you, when that trigger comes up, you can start to ask yourself, am I physically hungry? Do I, do I really need to eat right now? Or is this that emotional hunger? And that's going to help you start to go, oh, you know what? I think this is actually a lot of this is the emotional hunger because there's been a lot of stress and I just haven't known how to cope with it, right? And that just helps you be less hard on yourself. And then you can start going more into the self-care to cope. Yeah. One of my other guests, um, Georgie, she's an anxiety coach. And she, she was saying that lockdown is actually bringing a lot of pains to the surface at yep. quicker rate. And it's like, well, perhaps if people are going through this, it's a good thing because it's better to happen quickly and you do something about it sooner rather than let it happen gradually over time. Yeah. And it's there and, and you don't even realize it then. So I, yeah. I definitely think I th your advice is, is concrete and it's actionable. So thank you. And I agree with what your other guests said, because guess what? We've had to sit at home without as many distractions and deal with our stuff or choose to deal with it. Right. And so I think it's great because it's like, wow, I was being so distracted. I was shoving all this down and now here it is in my face. I have a choice. I can either continue to ignore it or I can start to deal with it. Right. And the freedom is in dealing with it. Yeah. And what's your relationship with food? Well, now it's really good. I mean, it has been for about, I'd say eight years, but it's, I, I don't measure anything. I don't weigh anything. We eat very well. Like very whole foods based just because it, we feel best doing so. However, it's about balance. So for me, it's like, you know, five, six days of the week, it's, we make everything here anyway. And I make a lot of my own recipes. So if I want pumpkin spice loaf, or I want to make a pizza, 
I have this wicked gluten-free crust, right? So it's, and we put all of our favorite stuff on it. So even, even our indulgences are like, no one else would consider probably them indulgences. Um, and then, you know, if we want, we want to go out and celebrate, you know, we don't worry about having something that's a bit more processed here or there. We don't do fast food. That's something we just don't do. But if we want to go and indulge and enjoy a nice meal and, you know, a couple of drinks, we will, but we really just feel the best when we're, you know, putting the optimal fuel into our bodies that make us feel good. But we, we, I don't eat for any emotional reasons anymore because I've learned how to cope in a healthy way. Yeah. If I was to ask you, what's your greatest fear? What would you say? Oh, a few months ago, I would have had a lot for you. My greatest fear. Um, well, it definitely used to be getting sick, getting sick and suffering so deeply before death, but I'm not worried about that anymore. Um, I think my biggest fear is not having enough capacity, like the time that I'm here, not being able to help enough people, which I also feel like I've kind of debunked maybe. Yeah. Like fear of not having control of like other people coming in, controlling you. Like when everything first did, I was like, Oh my God, like what's going to happen. You hear all these rumors of the plans and it's like, that's scary. So that was a big fear. Right. Um, so I think fear of being controlled by others without your consent. And why would I have been maybe overwhelmed by the amount of things that scared you a few months ago compared to now? Oh man, because I have woken up tenfold in the last four months in so many ways. Um, and actually there's um, this amazing woman, her name is Dolores Cannon and she has passed on now, but she actually um, did a lot of work with past lives and helping people heal in that, in that respect. And she did a lot of hypnotherapy but she has this one video on YouTube where she talks about what actually happens when you die. And it just, I'm like, Oh, well that makes so much sense. And I always knew that like, I'm here in this lifetime having this, you know, experience and that I volunteered to be here right now, just like everyone else on this earth. But it just really helped me realize that my humanness is only one part of my journey. And the only time anyone else has power is when I give it away. So if I'm in my power, then I'm unstoppable. And that's really helped me release my fear. I just believe in a lot bigger things now. And I'm getting proof of everything that I'm believing in um, that's bigger than me. And it's really just making me excited for, for life and humanity and all the good things that are coming for everybody. Yeah, that's, that's quite deep. I like that. Um, you know, you have all the power you need until you give it away. Yep. And if you give it away, you can claim it and take it back. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's amazing. We had this um, adult entertainer on recently, Alexis Forks, and she was saying the same thing about happiness, how it doesn't belong in anyone else's hands but yours. And I thought that was quite, yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Um, does anything worry you to the point that it keeps you awake at night? Um, I don't think so. Not anymore. Yeah. And do you have any tips for people that have maybe trouble sleeping? Yeah, definitely. So a couple of really important things. Um, unplug from technology at least 15 to 30 minutes before bed because the stimulation in the blue light from your screens, it messes up your internal sleep clock and then you are 
you're stimulated. And if you're stimulated, it can be hard for your body to produce melatonin to help you fall asleep. Um, you know, so unplugging and maybe doing some form of self-care, just really unwinding before you go to bed. That's important. If you're having troubles, you know, or if you're waking up in the middle of the night, that's usually more hormone related. So go to your doctor and ask for a workup and see if you, you know, you can get some help from them or if there's a certain person that you want to see to get that help. But if you're waking up in the middle of the night, that's not normal. And it's usually liver and hormone stuff, but once addressed, it can be resolved and you should be able to sleep the whole night. Um, also, I love with manifestation, when you go from being conscious into your subconscious mind, fall asleep saying an affirmation of something that you want, whether you want to feel something more, you want to manifest it, it's incredible. You'll manifest it more quickly because you're carrying that into your subconscious mind. So that's a, that's a kind of a fun one. Say you just want to even feel more peace. You know, you could be saying that slowly. I, I want to, I am feeling more peace or I am abundant or I'm manifesting X clients. It's been really cool to see that come in more quickly as I've been doing that. Um, and then you can use things like lavender essential oil, do a chamomile, holy basil or passion flower tea later in the afternoon to help your nervous system calm down to help with sleep. Those are some basics, you know, that I can suggest without needing to know someone's specific state, but there's a lot we can do to set us up for good sleep hygiene. We just have to set that boundary up. I find with the technology. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of my friends that I've spoken to recently have said that they find they're sleeping a lot more and a lot mm. better now mm. during lockdown. And I, know, I just found that interesting. Is that something yeah. that you found with your clients? Yeah, probably less stress, less running around to do, less on your plate, right? There's just been more limitations and I know that's starting to lift now. Um, but I feel like that may be part of it. Um, also, I feel like because of that, your, your nervous system just calms down more and it sets you up for better sleep. Your cortisol levels may be regulate, re, regulating better, um, better melatonin production, or maybe, you know, some of your friends have gotten into the better routines and that's helping them sleep better, more balance, more time for movement, good eating. Right. Um, yeah. so that all would help for sure. Yeah. I think one big factor that people probably underestimate or they underestimated and now they've come to realize is commuting can be quite a big, big strain on, on your mm -hmm. everyday life. You know, I know in London, mm -hmm. for example, the average commute time is 45 minutes. Yeah. Same with some here. For, for some people it can easily be double that. So yep. it doesn't really tell you much, does it? And especially oh, goodness. if you're living in a commuter town because it's cheaper, traveling into the city tends to be people's preferred choice of lifestyle and you can do it for so long. And, I know I do a lot of scuba diving and I like this analogy that someone once told me. It was an old instructor. He said that, you know, stress is like, um, is, is like water, you know, and the fish, the reason they can see you in the water is because the water is always there. And the same thing mm. with stress is always there. So you just see past yeah. it and whatever it is you're looking at and you yeah. don't even realize it yourself. And I think that definitely applies for people who commute a lot and don't realize it themselves because there's no such thing as a consistently, relaxing commute no it's so especially if you're free you know you're getting upset with everyone else around you and people are you know driving too close to you. it just it can become very stressful especially if you get worked up really easily and then you get more reactionary right and then your your whole commute becomes this fight or flight response and you know and then you just take that on into the rest of your evening and you're you're upset about it all night like some people can really get worked up about something and then they're hanging on to it for days and it's you're in that fight or flight stress response the whole time. And it's 
it's really hard to have good sleep or have optimal health when you're in that state, you know, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do some word associations now. So I'll say a word and I'd like you to say the first one that comes to your mind. Okay. Calories. Um, not important. Sunshine. Warm. Movement. Mindful. Business. Expansive. Happiness. Healing. Yeah. It's interesting on the last one with healing. Happiness does heal, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It really um, does. So I always ask my guests, if you had a choice between going back at any point in time in the past or any point in the future, it doesn't have to be within your lifetime, which one would you choose and why? Wow. I think I would go into the future. Yeah. Um, part, partially because I get so curious and my ego takes over and goes, I want to know everything that's going to happen now. Yeah. Um, also, I just think incredible things are really coming for humanity. And it's, I don't think we can even fathom how amazing, you know, the shift is going to be as we awaken. So just getting a bigger snapshot of that would be really cool. Cause then I could bring it back and tell everybody about how excited they should be. <laughs> that's amazing yeah do, do you feel that we're going to make it then yeah I guess that's quite a positive outlook that you have oh yeah and yeah. so this is the thing okay we all have the opportunity to to perceive the way we want to see the world right so I can sit here and go the world is a negative place and blah 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 and go into rant about that or I can go I acknowledge that the world is in a state right now where there is a lot going on however the old normal we're not going back to that. And it was not taking us anywhere good. Therefore there's a lot that's falling away and that creates a lot of space for new. And that makes me really excited because I'm seeing so much proof in the sky, in nature, with people, with different things going on that are just affirming to me everything that I am perceiving or putting out into the universe that I want to manifest into this reality for all of humanity is coming. So I think it's important for us to ask what kind of world do we want to see and what kind of humanity do you know outcome do we want to see and to focus on freedom you know health wellness abundance for everybody i know people might be like oh my god that's a, a long shot as if that's ever going to happen but that's the ego mind right so yeah. what do you want what kind of you know state of humanity do you want to manifest and make it the biggest dream big and put everything on that vision board that you want to see because that's what we're going to manifest as a collective, right? Interesting, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And if I was to ask your boyfriend, what's Amber's superpower, what would he say? <laughs> oh, probably that I make everyone feel very safe and comfortable that they can open up and talk to me about anything. It's safe for others to be vulnerable with me. Yeah, that's a good trait. I feel that as well. Don't, don't lose that. Um, I won't, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's good. No, it was a really good chat. And I think, you know, we touched on some important topics. Uh, you know, I've spoken to some amazing people during lockdown. And yeah, I think, I think we have a really great diversity of guests. And I think it's always important to have a few episodes, whether it's monthly or every couple of months, dedicated towards this type of space, because mm -hmm. I'm a strong believer in mental health and making sure that there's enough out there for people to come back to and I think actionable steps are a key thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I know we've been through that with the 
different phases and hopefully we're listening to that we'll we'll take notes and pay attention mm -hmm. can only hope fingers crossed yeah definitely and, and what kind of plans can we expect from you in the future i know you mentioned your podcast is 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 not far off the million mark and i know your business is going strong now so what else can yeah we and i'm actually working on an online program um, that's really going to be, it's going to be a really great transformative five week program for people who are kind of wanting a taste and to get some support, but want to kind of go online. So that's going to be all about emotional eating, body image, digestion, cravings, et cetera. But I'm just finishing the sales page and working on, you know, recording all the modules and everything. So that's going to be coming up in the next month or two. Um, so that's a really big focus. And then I'm, for me, it's really about, um, kind of maintaining I'm just kind of in the space right now where I'm, I'm working on that and then I know I'm going to want to build more online programs to piggyback off of that so that I can just help more people because I of course have capacity to serve so many people privately and then want to you know be able to go above and beyond that um and then the podcast those are really big um the big goals right now um I think as things move forward and I don't think it's really will be much this year, maybe more next year, but some retreat stuff, you know, down in California and things like that, that was supposed to happen this year, but I, I don't foresee that. Right. So, yeah. um, but I'm just, I'm trusting the journey and I'm trusting the process. And I know that whatever comes in is in alignment is exactly what my business needs. And it's okay if certain things fall away. Right. I, I learning to trust it's been a significant over the last few months of trusting your path and things that work out great if they don't that's fine um so that's kind of what's coming up so we'll see we'll see past that but i think lots of good things are coming so yeah no i was speaking to someone here who's a very experienced businessman and you know he set up a few companies in, in his time and he, he's very successful and he's got this kind of old school approach with things and he's like look people always say trust the process and i always tell them there's no need to trust the process. You need to adapt to the process. And I'm just, yes. yeah, that's, that's actually true. If you don't, you can trust what you want, but unless you adapt and take some action to, to yeah. prove that you trust it, then yeah, it doesn't really mean much, but I it's definitely so sense true. doing that because, you know, online programs may not be everyone's cup of tea, but you've said, look, that's the best thing I can do at this time. If retreats are possible. So it makes sense for business. Yeah. 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 And I, I have, you know, when I connect with my clients or potential clients, you know, if the private coaching isn't in alignment, I find then having, you know, that option or the group program or just other things that I can provide while honoring my capacity, right? Because like I said, I have to have that balance for myself. I practice what I preach. So, you know, I'm not going to take clients seven days a week to try and, you know, help as many people as I can. So it really does help open up the capacity without sacrificing my hormones or, you know, right. So yeah. it's, it's nice to have that balance and, um, yeah, I think I just need that right now because with growth, like spiritually, business-wise, all of that, like your body needs to process, right? Like you can't just grow, 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 and not have that have any impact on your emotional state, your mindset, your physical state of health. And spiritually, you have to allow time to process, which is just feel, let go of stuff, move forward. And make sure that what you have on your plate is not overwhelming you, right? So that's why yeah. I'm like, I have this, but I, I'm not going to add anything else because it just, I feel like I'm at the capacity that I want to be and my body, I just listen to my body and she's like, this is good, but no more. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And like I said, it was a pleasure talking to you. And hopefully we can do a part two in the future. And, you know, we've started this panel now, the business lounge, where we focus on topics as opposed to the people themselves. And it's very kind of, you know, hit and go 30 minutes max. And, and you know, cool. we've had some positive responses. And I know a few people that have run some courses in the past. So it would be great to have a few people to talk about that because I think, you know, we're living in an age now where, like you said, working digitally, remotely, uh, monetizing your knowledge and expertise to help others. I think that's that's you know looking like a very lucrative future for a lot of people. So yeah, it'd be great to arrange something like that in the future. Yeah, that sounds great, and thank yeah. you again for having me. That was a pleasure, definitely, and uh, I'll definitely be giving that no hustle um, episode a listen. Uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. It's de- it definitely caught my attention because I know a lot of people sing that narrative in, in the UK, especially in London, mm-hmm. fast-paced city. And yeah, I, agree. I think you know you, de- you definitely can't sustain anything of value if you're running on five hours sleep. No, agreed. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy that. <laughs>